And we're recording. Hello, everybody. Martin. How you doing? How you doing? Hey. Well, hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you cu- you recorded fast, man. I'm still trying to sip my water. Sip, sip, sip. Sippy, sippy, whippy. But you knew I was going <laughs> to record. Oof. Boy, that was quick. Sorry about that, because I had to go. Um, you hydrated anyway, now. I'm doing quite well today. Um, so the problem has been with me, so many things to do, so little time. You get one shot in life, if you miss the shot, man, that's a scary thing. So everybody out there, you get one shot in life. Don't give me the b- malarkey about an afterlife. You get one shot, you make your shot, you get and you get got and you got one shot so man as i get older i'm getting more fierce and more urgent about making um production being productive as opposed to what i would love to do is just sit and sit and play video games all day <laughs> but uh but i i want to make a mark in this world so yeah that's what i've been dealing with that's how i'm doing that's how I'm doing. Nice. Well, maybe Oof. not nice. I don't know. Sounds anxiety-inducing. Well, gosh, you didn't. I bet you all didn't expect for uh, me to have an existential crisis. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, man, come on. You're starting off hot, man. Jeez, he's getting all Kierkegaard with this over here. It's like, oh, wow, wow, he's talking. Oh, he's giving me existential. Oh, shit. Oh, what if, oh, goodness, what if life has no meaning, though, too? Like, what 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 do we do then? What if life is just actually just super absurd? And what if we should imagine Sisyphus rolling that boulder up a hill, but also imagining him happy while doing it, you know? Oh, Uh, wow, that's a lot to think about. Mm. I do think there is no intrinsic meaning to life, though. Yeah, I'm fine with that, too. Yeah, we make them. We decide what we live for. There you go. Whether it be a religion or whether it be for us or whether it be for the bills we pay. We decide what we live for. I like that. Yeah. And life ain't so depressing once you realize that. Even though there is no intrinsic meaning to life. Life is a big old sandbox. And I love playing in it, baby. Mmm. Life is God's sandbox, actually. <laughs> well, word of the gods. What is that, Paul Lawrence Dunbar? I have no fucking clue, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just check real quick. <laughs> what What was it actually called that you said? Word of the gods. It's a novel by, uh, I believe, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Work of the God. Sport of the gods. Oh, sport of the gods. If I'm not mistaken, I mean, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, the sport of the gods. It's depressing. Oh. <laughs> uh, forced to leave the South, the family falls apart amid the harsh realities of northern inner city life in this 1902 examination of the forces that extinguish the dreams of African Americans. Oh, boy. So basically, I guess that title, The Sport of the Gods, comes from um, a very, a very 
uh, negative way of looking at life and how the foibles and the struggles of human beings are really just the sport of the gods. You know how we watch sports? Well, if the gods exist, they're watching human beings like how we would watch sports. They're watching us struggle. They're watching us make these horrible decisions, etc., etc. And they're probably betting on it too, like we would bet on sports. Damn, that's fucked, yo. <laughs> you ever try DMT? <laughs> Actually, I would like to do that sometime, just to expand my consciousness and see the other side. Maybe one day we will have an entire episode where we're just having a trip on DMT and we're just talking at each other. Not even holding any coherent conversation. Just <laughs> having our fucking consciousness expanded into, like, goo. Stretched and molded like Nickelodeon slime in the hands of God. Like, bro, did you see the, uh, that rainbow, man, is really 120 million colors and one. In our human mind, we only see eight colors. Isn't that kind of fucked up to think about, that there's colors <laughs> that are invisible to human vision, but other animals can see different colors? That's kind of... And you'll never... And you have to live your whole life resolved to the fact that there's just colors that you will never be able to experience just because of your biology, Oof. man. <laughs> <laughs> you were being serious there for a moment. I sort of am. Uh. I don't know why, because my brain, every time I think about ultraviolet you know something we can't see but at the same time we kind of represent it with like purple and some other color or whatever you know what i mean oh yeah it's like that shit's invisible along with like infrared but it's like why do we call it ultraviolet why do we call it infrared why do we call it after colors that are visible because then my brain just pictures it as such like i just type in ultraviolet in the google images right now i get a bunch of like you know, pictures of lights and purple and shit. Like, there's the color, the color, there's the fucking uh, cover, excuse me, to the movie Ultraviolet with Mila Jojovich. Mm hmm. Which looks really fucking trippy. Um, pictures of the electromagnetic spectrum. And, you know, it's shit we'll never be able to see. I sound like I'm tripping on DMT right now, actually. <laughs> Speaking, of, I don't know. I'm getting like platonic, platonic. I'm getting like Neoplatonist vibes over here, man. What? Really? I'm just saying. We're talking about like uh, like the that. We're talking about stuff we can't see, but that's real, I suppose. You I know, Plato, the allegory of the cave. Yeah, but with some things that you know we can't see that we know exist, we have tools that kind of make it visible, right? You know, like, you don't, you can't see bacteria with the naked eye, but you can use tools to see them, you know? But you can't really, you can use tools to detect, you know, stuff like ultraviolet and infrared light, but you'll never a actually see it. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. Well, that's just, this again, the sport of the gods, man. The gods who made us, God who made us, he has... A sick sense of humor. Hey, I'm going to make it so that these human beings can't see this shit. Yeah, why would God really deny us of that? 
Somebody who's listening to this shit right now is probably wondering if we're just doing like this scripted bit, you know, like pretending that we're talking about DMT, but we're actually doing like a meta commentary as if we are under the influence of DMT. And, you know, How do they know were they with this a couple minutes ago. You don't know what we ingested. Ooh. You don't know shit about what we ingested, dude. Dudes and dudettes. Damn. You know, how is it that, like, people like Joe Rogan and Blair White, who have claimed to have taken DMT, are still, like, such massive douchebags? Well, I don't, hey, come on, I don't know about that. I love Joe Rogan, man. I can, I can never be mad at that guy. He introduced me to great people and great know. thought. I'm kind of resentful to him. I feel betrayed by Joe Rogan. Well, I kind of do, too, because, like, when you have those grifters on your show that, let's be honest, these grifters wouldn't be half as big, half as big as they are now without Joe Rogan in the audience, you know, the Joe Rogan boost. Mm. But, but man, like, you watch a lot of his shows, you get smarter and you get more curious. I do not think you get smarter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you've ever no. seen like the Tim Heidegger uh, video <laughs> where it's like this skit where he's talking to these two other dudes. Oh, that's hilarious, yeah. I've and seen that. It's like they literally talk about fucking nothing for like 12 hours or so. And it's 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 looped, obviously. But even in that time, they still really come to zero conclusion and they're just fucking rambling about shit. That's kind yeah, of it's hilarious too because they they kind of did what we did with that meta commentary, but they, of course they did a lot more funny, <laughs> a lot more you know humorous <laughs> crap. No, no, hold on though, hold on before you go with that conclusion that you won't get smarter after listening to Joe Rogan. I have in front of me Spotify playlist for Joe Rogan's episodes. Let's break down people that he on his shows. What? Okay. Dr. Robert Epstein, an author, professor, and senior research psychologist, psychologist at American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology. James Lindsay, an author, mathematician, podcaster, and founder of New Discourses, an online resource for educating the public on the dangers of critical social justice movement. I mean, these are smart people. We may not agree with them, but they're still smart people. Nah, these people stink. Sorry. I'm and smart. of course, we know the Oliver Stone. We know him. I'm smarter than all of those people. Combined. Tim Dillon. Tim Dillon, one of the funniest men on the planet, and one of the most insightful men on the planet as well. He's cool. But oh, not I because, love Tim Dillon, but not because of but not because of Joe Rogan. Oh no, he's just cool. He's cool. I I, I listen to his podcast. Uh, Tim Dillon. Mm-hmm. Matt Taibbi. Oh, he's awesome. Steven Pinker's another uh, smart dude. Um, Steven Pinker? Yeah. yeah. What? D D Steven Pinker? Like yeah, Steven Pinker's on Joe Rogan's show a lot, yeah. Uh, buddy, I got so I'm not gonna diss this man's intellect or his academic accomplishments, but you might not want to be so highly praising of Steven Pinker, dude. Well, I know some of the controversy. I know some of the controversy. What? Well, oh, let's God test damn. this. We had toilet paper Tim Pool on in November. Oh gosh, that's what I'm talking about. I can't. I, as much as I love Rogan, I cannot. I cannot. 
condone having toilet paper Tim pool on, man. That guy belongs in the toilet like a piece of shit. What Fuck about you, your Tim pool? What year? What year was the Steven Pinker stuff by chance? Oh, he's been uh, Steven Pinker was on last in December 2021, and he's been a recurring guest. What? This motherfucker yeah. literally, this son of a bitch literally wrote kind of like this opinion, like a sort of like a legal defense to fucking Jeffrey Epstein, man. Oh, see, I didn't know that. Uh, well, yeah, now you do. Oh. And apparently it's not a big secret. I just Googled this shit right now. It's here's here's a big thing. And here's like something Joe Rogan doesn't apparently give enough a shit about. Oh, or if he yeah. did, he's like fucking rationalized it. Fuck Steven Pinker, dude. Well, I, well, he's smart, okay? I'll just say he's smart. Nah. You could be smart and be a, you know, somebody. You could be smart and still have some weird views, all right? Nah, I could totally beat Steven Pinker at Age of Empires too. I would fuck him up in Age of Empires too. Let's see how smart he really is. But he'd fuck you up in a debate, though, probably. Nah, I'm, I'm big brain. So will Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro was on in November 2021. Oh, of course. Another very smart man. The guy who... And also, he has... Oh, I'm sorry. The guy who literally was like, in response to something about climate change and, you know, rising sea levels and, like, coastal homes, you know, he suggested that people could just sell their properties when climate change was getting bad and sea levels started to rise. Well, he lives in a Shapiro lives in a bubble bubble Ben Shapiro Ben bubble Shapiro that's who he is he lives in his own little bubble the guy doesn't know anything about fucking the middle class or the lower middle class or the low class or the underclass guy knows jack shit about it see I will say this I used to think Joe Rogan's show was pretty neat for a while mm. and then over time it, it it's just as if his brain started to turn to goop you know, his brain started to smooth over. There, I, I think, I don't know if he only pretended to be like a super open-minded guy. You know what I mean? Or if he was, and he was just too open-minded. <laughs> and then like any, oh, any yeah. guy could come by and fucking influence him on the show. But his show, he's like, he's a mirror. Most of the time, it's as if he's like a mirror to his guest. If that makes sense. No, no, no. What, what do you mean by that? Hold on. So, generally, you know, he'll... He will entertain the beliefs or opinions of somebody on his show for mm-hmm. the most part. doesn't matter who it is. It could be Ben Shapiro, and it, or it could be Dr. Cornell West, or it could be Bernie fucking yeah. Sanders. He had fucking Bernie Sanders Abby on that Martin. show, dude. I'm looking right now, July twenty, July 2021, Abby Martin. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he might offer like maybe a tiny bit of pushback here and there, but he just kind of mirrors what they say about stuff. And it sound, he makes himself sound as if he's actually agreeing with them on some level. Um, the only times I've really, really seen him actually disagree with his guest besides like the most recent clip where he's got where that guy basically owned him about uh the coat it's like some some stats about covid oh no i watched that too yeah i watched that yeah Yeah. and he he took it on the chin at least afterwards 
you know. Oh, but, yeah. Well, he's a humble dude, man. But but he also <laughs> the last time I also seriously saw him push back was when he got into Steven Crowder about fucking weed. Oh, yeah. Well, Crowder is the brain cell of a fucking amoeba. If amoebas even have brain cells. Well, seriously, there's yeah. an amoeba in here where a brain should be. But that's like where we really see a joke to draw a line in the sand. Like fucking legal weed. <laughs> well, well, here's a, well. This is what. Well, here's a one thing I learned on the Joe Rogan show, listening to about a hundred episodes, um, is don't be married to your ideas. Don't let your ideas become your identity. And I think one of the things that um, that's actually making Joe a lot more money and making Joe a lot more views is that he's. It seems to me. It seems to me that he's married to that idea of being against the COVID vaccine and and against all these COVID restrictive measures. And he seems to be married to that idea. He's really internalized the anti-vaccine stuff, I think. I think it's making him more popular than ever, and so he's kind of running with it. Um, And the more pushback he's gotten from like public figures and media outlets and other like medical professionals the more he has kind of like doubled down on it yeah oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah which is you know this is a guy who i think still no he doesn't believe this anymore but he did talk about in an older episode how he believed the moon landing was faked for the longest time mm-hmm and he still thinks that was kind of like the closest. Like, if there was a conspiracy theory that was true, it would be that one, I think. That he would believe still, but he doesn't know. I think that's reasonable. Think about it. We haven't cured cancer yet. There's no virus against HIV. And, hey, we put a man on the moon, though. What? The hell? I don't know, but, sense. but all those points don't have anything to do with each other, though. I think they do. Science, we're talking about the advance of science, but we can't find a cure for cancer. It's a 21st century. We've already put a man on the moon. Like how fucking complicated it is to put a man on the moon? But it, it, I don't, I don't know. Like, but I'm speaking out of a position of ignorance, though, because I don't know how complicated it is to find a cure for cancer or to find a virus uh, or to find a vaccine for the HIV virus. I don't know. Well, like I said, I don't think he believes that anymore. Oh, I'm pretty sure he doesn't, but it was something that he said that you talked about pretty candidly. I don't know who his guest was, but he talked about that pretty candidly, and he kind of rejects it, but there's probably still a little bit of fucking, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but that was the last time. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the word I'm looking for, but you know what? We're not here but to hey, talk. I, I love Joe Rogan, man. I'll say it. Nah, I, I used to like him, and I lost a lot of respect. But that <laughs> said, I do want to talk about something more serious. Absolutely. Let's get to it. All right. So one of the things that I became very interested in over the weekend that I don't know if it was just... At first, I was wondering... If this was just me experiences, but how much attention, let me ask you this, how much attention was brought to you about 
the uh, hostage situation in the synagogue in Texas? Um, not as much as like my news feeds were more about COVID. Um, and I saw probably in the last, what, since it happened, uh, probably like three news stories about it. Uh, and I still don't know what's going on, honestly, until the, until you sent me the one. Um, okay. So it's not just you. It's not just me. So I was, so what really prompted me to do this aside from this weird suspicious feeling i had that there really was not a lot of attention to this situation there was mm-hmm. i mean there was stuff being written about it i mean cnn and all these other platforms were writing about it but one of the things that really caught my eye was that whether on facebook or twitter or just you know whatever little news shit that you have on your phone that the only coverage that i was actually being directed to about it was from Haaretz, which is a news publication. It's a good news publication uh, based in Israel. How do you spell that? I'm going to look it up now. Uh, Let me just type it in for you really quick. Oh, okay. So it's it's like a H... Haaretz. Oh, okay. I might, I might even be pronouncing it wrong, actually, but I think it's Haaretz. Okay. So it's, you know, it's an Israeli newspaper founded in 1918. It's 103 years old. Wow. I didn't think this, I didn't think Haaretz was this old. That's, well, that's interesting, too, considering the history of it, you know? Yeah. Israel wasn't even a country then. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it was probably based early it was first published in 1918 as a newspaper sponsored by the british military government in palestine oh, the british okay it, in 1919 it was taken over by a group of socialist oriented zionists mainly from russia welcome. that's so interesting it Absolutely. and it is kind of like a left-wing liberal leaning publication okay yeah i've i've seen some like pretty dissenting stuff though um like one of my favorite journalists on there is this well-known writer named uh, Gideon Levy, for example. Gideon Levy, that sounds so familiar. You've probably come across this guy before, actually. He's got a lot of published works, um, and he's a pretty radical. I don't want to say radical guy, but he is. You know, his. A lot of his writing does uh, orient pro-Palestine, anti-Israel. Okay. I wouldn't say he is anti-Israel, but he's like extremely critical of it. Strongly critical. Strongly critical of Israel is his... But he's one of my favorite writers as a result. Um, But that said, that was where most of the coverage I was receiving, a guy in the United States... (laughs) Uh, getting coverage from about this situation in Texas. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what the fuck? And I was like watching this streamer uh, on Twitch, right? Her name is Aristocracy TV. Um, And she's Jewish. And she did an entire three, four hour stream about anti-Semitism, right? 
And I, I have a lot of I have a lot of problems with that term anti-Semitism. Well, actually, that. she does too, and she makes a very good yeah. argument to why it's actually something we should probably stop using to describe anti-Jewish well, hatred. Yeah, just like the term Caucasian. But yeah, is that kind of what you're thinking too? Sort of, yeah. Like okay. I, if I remember right, her argument is that anti-Semitism was a term coined by uh, by racists essentially to ding make ding. Jewish hatred more palatable ding dong right well think about it though because to be a Jewish person anybody can be a Jewish person you just convert to Judaism mm, it's a little bit more complicated than that but like but that, people can convert to Judaism yeah that that is a thing yeah. but I mean um, but our view, our view of Jewish people, though, and this comes from the the age of imperialism, racism, man. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. Jews are seen as a separate race as opposed to like a religious group. Right. So, but yeah, anti-Semitism is a very problematic term in of itself. Yeah, just like Caucasian, man. Yeah, it's meant it's meant to basically be. It was originally coin to basically be more palatable uh to say and express your hatred towards jews it's literally language invented to make it seemed more polished and refined because before then it was just straight up called uh there was a german term called judenhass and it literally just meant jew hate mm. and there's uh we're gonna definitely get on this in the future but one of the things that I asked her during the stream and that she responded to was that did you do you think it was weird that I only received coverage of this from Haaretz while this was happening? And she's like, yeah, I live in Canada and barely anyone here covered it at all. And mm. we, and Canadian news publications and outlets do cover u.s news and current events all the fucking time but barely in canada were people talking about this now like i said before there was there was you know stuff being written about and there were journalists keeping up to date on this on cnn and all these other fucking outlets but the problem is that it just didn't seem like these were catching traction at all which is very bizarre to me because this was a live hostage situation. Like a dude holed up a synagogue and I'm pretty sure he had like a bomb, some bombs strapped to his fucking chest or whatever. And the FBI was like negotiating with this dude to, and to their this credit. Like front page news, yeah. Yeah, that should have been fucking front page news. Like, oh, this is actual terrorism happening. <laughs> and it's like, meh. It's something like the news just kind of like glazed kind of over or it either glazed it over or it just didn't really care enough to highlight it. Mm. And this is something we learn in our communications program at Ohio State, right? So anyone who's studied communications anywhere is no doubt familiar with the term of agenda setting, right? And to kind of give you like a kind of brief, 
a super brief review of agenda setting. I'm gonna pull it up right here just so I don't fuck it up. So agenda setting is a theory that describes the news's ability to influence the importance placed on topics of the public agenda, right? So when you said public agenda, who's the public in this case? You, me, basically the general public hmm. is what they're referring to here. The things that we are talking about in the news day to day, not not what the not just what the news is talking about, but what you and I are talking about and thinking about, right? So for example, like when right-wing media outlets want to push you know shit about like okay the most recent example would be you hear all this bullshit about the m&m shit oh yeah bunch of who bust a baka baka that's what it is right this is this is like non-news it's it's yeah. a nothing burger right but yeah. every fucking right-wing outlet was all talking about like why the green m&m isn't fuckable oh, anymore or oh. <laughs> Shit like that. They were obsessed with push, you know, pushing this fake shit about like, oh, they're making M&Ms woke. That was the headline that conservatives were all talking about. And whether they believed that was real or not or pretended to care or whether they really cared, that's an example of agenda setting. Now, obviously, mm. it didn't affect literally everyone, but if you have your whether if you're on the right wing or if you have your pulse on what's popular in right wing media, then you caught wind of it. And every fucking body was talking about the goddamn MMs. Even Tucker Carlson on Fox News was complaining about why the brown or green MM wasn't sexy anymore. Um, because it, they, they, took away that Eminem's go-go boots or some shit? I don't know. Oh, well, this just in. Tucker Carlson wants to fuck candy. Yeah. Yeah, apparently, yeah. The candy is now woke, and because it's woke, Tucker Carlson doesn't want to fuck it anymore. So that's one example of agenda setting. Um, right. Agenda setting also happens when you kind of see um, media outlets talking about a subject in a way that kind of pushes an agenda like manufacturing consent so you know how like the right before the united states declared war in iraq to al saddam hussein oh, yeah. oh, you know yeah. a lot of news agencies were mm -hmm. kind of talking about weapons of mass destruction weapons of mass destruction does does he have weapons of mass destruction does he have connections to al-qaeda uh, does he have connections yeah. on all that bullshit Oh, yeah. that, that is essentially agenda setting at work. And then merely the goal of it is to make something more prominent in your mind. So that's agenda setting in a nutshell, right? Yeah. But for some reason, we didn't really see that much at work at all with this coverage of the story. And that struck me as fucking insane actually but it also fits a certain pattern and that pattern i will argue is that the media doesn't really care a whole lot when it comes to covering news 
or matters of anti-Semitism. It's a very secondary, it's kind of a very secondary thing for a lot of media outlets to cover, I think, overall. It's, it's just not labeled as that important. Like, you, you're lucky if you see it in the news, or you have to directly find it. So, one thing I want to look up real quick. Well, I just, that's so interesting to me that you say that, because wouldn't that be like a quote-unquote sexy topic for the media? You would think because it is it is it fits all the criteria for what we for what media would consider newsworthy stories, right? So another thing I kind of want to point out to you too, right? So this is going back all the way to April 2021, but it's not that long ago. So do you recall ever hearing a story about a Jewish family in New York? Uh, being the victim of a knife attack? No. Why is that? You figure an entire family getting fucking an orthodox... So, this is an article I'm reading, okay? I figure there's a lot of knife attacks in New York City. <laughs> yeah, this Sorry, is one. New Yorkers. New York, New York. <laughs> I, I was actually remembering something, you know, I thought people were saying that there was a story about a man, not a whole family, who got attacked but this is one example that i don't remember fucking hearing about when it happened back in april right so this is like when an orthodox jewish couple was visiting new york with their toddler and they're all slashed by a man with a knife and what police were investigating as a, po a possible bias crime. bias crime what happened to hate crime what the fuck is possible bias crime well i mean it's kind of given that it's biased I mean, if they if this guy was attacking them based on the fact that they were Jewish, I mean, duh. That's kind of fucking obvious. What, you think he's going to have a positive bias for fucking when he's fucking stabbing them? Jesus. So, yeah, this was an attack that occurred in Lower Manhattan. 22-year-old guy. Uh, a 22-year-old man was slashed in the head. 23-year-old woman was slashed on the lip. And a 1-year-old boy was slashed on the chin. The family was visiting from Belgium. They weren't even American citizens. They were just visiting from fucking Belgium. The suspect in the attack was a guy named Daryl Jones, who was 30, and he was taken into custody at the scene. The suspect was allegedly ranting during the attack. Source says, a knife was recovered, police said. Uh, Jones of Manhattan was charged with three counts of assault, assault on a person less than seven years old, and three counts of criminal possession of a weapon and criminal possession of a controlled substance. I was probably on fucking drugs, too. But my whole point is that I feel like a lot of these things are happening, and they're reported on, but they don't really reach public attention that much. You know what I mean? Mm. No, yeah, I can see that. I can see, yeah, I can see that also with a lot of uh, anti-Asian crime. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hate as well. Yeah, like it still happens. It still fucking happens for Asians too, but it's yeah. like Jewish new. And I'm not, neither of us are Jewish, by the way. No. Let's let's make that perfectly fucking clear. Neither neither of us are Jewish. Um, however, it is become. It does kind of get overlooked mm. and that is fucking bizarre to me 
That's so goddamn weird, dude. Yeah, well, I think, too, I think the the media seems to be too focused on black crime. Right. Like, a lot, especially lo- local media is the worst at that, right? So, mm. you know, like, people who consume heavy amounts of their local news, you know, they're the ones who are statistically most likely to develop this kind of mindset that we would call mean world syndrome. And it's basically this outlook of the world that you think it's more dangerous than it really is. Yeah. So that's what that is. And Yeah, I'm looking at my local news now and see what I can see. Well, well 24-year-old man dead and shooting in the southeast side. Stuff about schools. Uh, COVID. Crisis in the classroom. Stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah, for some reason... Stuff I'm seeing. But my whole point is, I don't believe that news outlets particularly care that much about when stuff happens to Jewish folks. I think that's a little fucky-wucky, actually. So, hmm. going well, back to... Too, that's interesting you, met, you say that, because a lot of uh, anti-Semites, for lack of a better term, will... <laughs> I legit just Yo, think we should call them Jew haters. Honestly, it's just a lot of Jew haters, a lot of people who hate Jews will try to tell you, yeah, man, the entire media, the entire financial system is run by the Jews, which is, of course, a lie as old as fucking 1900 with the protocols of the elders of Zion. Mm-hmm. So, so. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, that seems a little counterintuitive. Um, why yeah. is that? Um, maybe it's because they don't actually do that. <laughs> um, well, speaking of that, I was, uh, not to get off topic here, mm-hmm. but, uh, I was looking in the comments for this YouTube video about uh, the great reset. Mm-hmm. And in the comments, somebody was like, yeah. And I wonder why they don't talk about the, uh, protocols of Zion anymore. I'm like, <laughs> probably. <laughs> why do you think? stranger that people don't talk about the protocols of the elders of zion you know what i don't even want to put that into google like protocols of elders of zion because that shit will probably put me on a watch list yeah like maybe it's because like a jew hating pamphlet that was written during the russian empire is probably not a credible source of information too (laughs) yeah Maybe that's probably because, I mean, you're free to fucking Google it. Obviously, you've probably read it, dude. You probably probably soaked that shit up like a fucking sponge, homie. But (laughs) it seems like, though, with the rise of conspiracy theories, it seems like there's more anti-Semitism. I think, yeah, because even there's a lot of stuff out there today that is not openly it uses a lot of dog whistles is what i'm saying there's a Mm -hmm. lot of conspiracy theories and terms that are basically anti-jewish dog whistles you know Mm -hmm. like when people you like the the best example i can think of is when people talk about elites right now you can talk yeah and elites is vague enough to where you can actually use that in like a scholarly scholarly context and not have people like think twice about that and then there's also people who talk about elites as in like bankers and you know families like the rothschilds oh yeah you know 
all of which can are often used as just Jewish. It's 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 meant to refer to Jews. Intent, wink, wink, dude. Um, a lot of like weird ass conspiracy theories too have their roots in anti-Jewish sentiment. Um, like I'm trying to think of like so. Okay, perfect example I can think of is you remember the anti-satanic panic back in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, well, I don't. I'm. I don't remember it because I was. I was like five when the 80s ended. But well, yeah. The history of it. Right. And how a lot of people were going around saying that, oh, they're harvesting, you know, blood or adrenochrome from kids, from innocent Christian kids to make some kind of, like, offering to Satan or the devil or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And there's an older anti-Jewish conspiracy theory about that, like, and this goes back pretty much to, like, medieval Europe, man, where they're like talking about how, how like a lot of European Christians at the time believed that Jews would kidnap Christian children yeah. and use their blood in making matzo bread. Yeah, I mean, fuck, we got like a fucking, fucking Marjorie Taylor Greene going on about fucking Jewish <laughs> space laser shit, and she yeah. still has a fucking job. Yeah, yeah, and people actually voted for her. What fucking moron would vote for somebody who says that? Right. It's like, okay, that's pretty on the fucking nose. Um, pretty. It's like, if you're gonna, it's like you're going to buy a machine that you know is malfunctioned. Well, her brain is malfunctioned. Right. So, it's like, I'm just, I'm saying here that we have... <laughs> That we live in a society. Did you know that? We live in a society? I did not uh, know that. I thought we lived in the Matrix, man. Nah. Run by Jews. Those damn Jews run this. No shit. But actually, <laughs> no. What, what I'm trying to say well, I'm is... I'm I'll be. Yeah. We still <laughs> live in a world where anti-Jewish sentiment and hatred is still, to some degree, acceptable. Mm-hmm. Now... Obviously, you can't be ravenously publicly anti-Jewish. That's that's an obvious, you know. That will get you. That will obviously destroy your reputation if you're outing yourself as an actual fucking Nazi. You know, like oh, your God, Richard no, yeah. Spencer, like your Richard Spencer or David Duke. Uh, yeah, that's gonna fucking obviously ruin your reputation forever. But if you're just sneaky enough, you will f- easily find certain niches. To fit into, you know, into where you will prosper, and you can still spread anti-Jewish hate and all this shit without suffering any real consequences. Yeah, I mean, I, I would not push back to that. So I want to kind of actually read some articles about what actually happened in Texas, okay. like yeah. Yeah, let's see. Let's let's see if you, dear reader, you know if this any any of this rings a bell to you. So this occurred. Let me see here. Get my sources pulled up. Do do do. So the most recent post I can find about this occurring seems to be on January fifteenth. So, 
I'm currently looking at like the live updates feed on CNN starting from January 15. Oh, actually that does not seem to be the earliest. Hold on. I'm full of shit. I'm full of shit audience. <laughs> actually, you know what? Fuck, that's not going to be a particularly useful. So, do you have like the New York Times one that I linked to? No, I have that pulled up. Oh yeah. Okay. We'll we'll, we'll go off that. So, this is an article from Melina Delkitch, I think her name is. Melina Delkitch, New York Times. So, oh, wait a minute. I have the one by Ruth Graham and Adam Goldman. Oh, hold on. On January 21st, 2022. So, here's the one I'm looking at right now. Okay. So, yeah. So this title, this article is titled "Grateful to Be Alive: What We Know About the Synagogue Hostage Rescue." Subtitle says the authorities identified the subject, a British citizen, who was killed after the hostages at a synagogue in the Dallas-Fort Worth area escaped on a Saturday night. Of course, this would be a British person. We can never trust the British. Well, that's weird to me, a Brit. Well, it's going to become a little bit. It's going to make a lot more sense. Okay. To so, Although the British do have a history of, uh, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, imperialism. Right. We can just we can safely assume, for the sake of argument, that the British are evil. So three hostages. <laughs> <laughs> we don't tolerate anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish hate on this on this show. We do propagate anti-British hate. As Americans, we love the Brits. We love you. Some of We're some of you actually listen to this program, and for that we are grateful. We love everyone. So that said, three hostages escaped from a Texas synagogue on Saturday night, ending a harrowing day of threats, prayers, and negotiations that included the earlier release of another hostage. The suspect is dead, officials said, and his motives are still under investigation. Actually, his motivations are a little bit more clear now, but this one, given the timing of this, you know, they weren't sure yet. So, what happened? Malik Faisal Akram, 44, was identified by the FBI on Sunday as the man who took four people, including a rabbi, hostage on Saturday morning at a service at Congregation Beth Israel. The oh, I was right there. How do you how do you spell that guy's name? Malik Malik Faisal Akram. Like a you spell that Faisal. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming up in the Google. Cool, cool. So, the Reform Synagogue is in Colleyville, a city of about 26,000 residents that is about 15 miles northeast of Fort, Fort Worth, Texas. I've actually been to Fort Worth. The service had been live-streamed, and on the stream, Mr. Akram could be heard shouting about dying and demanding to get a woman he said was his sister on the phone. The, <sighs> the immediate area was evacuated, and residents were instructed to remain home and avoid approaching the synagogue. Over the course of the day, about 200 local, state, federal, and local, state, and federal law enforcement officers converged on the synagogue, including a team of FBI agents and hostage negotiators who flew from Quantico, uh, Quantico, Virginia? Is that right? VA? Sorry, I don't know my states. <laughs> oh, wait, this well, is... VA is... Well, what else is VA going to be, dog? Yo, yo, mom. That's what you. That's what it is. 
I woke up from a nap, audience. That's why this is a short episode. <laughs> I'm just going to reveal behind the curtain here. We were actually going to do a more fuller episode, but you know what? I took a long-ass fucking nap, and I woke up an hour later than <laughs> and Martin here was waiting for me. I'm like, are you all right? He's not responding. All right. No, I'm fucking... I was dead. I was twiddling my thumbs up my ass, and he's like, where, where does this do that? I, I, I was dead to the fucking world, baby. So the hostage, hostage negotiators flew from Quantico, Virginia, the authorities said. One male hostage was released at about 5 p.m., and he was unharmed, thankfully. Then, about around 9.30 p.m., the remaining hostages escaped from the synagogue safely. They were unharmed and did not need medical attention, the authorities said. Officials said negotiators were speaking with Mr. Akram throughout the day. It's very likely this situation would have ended very badly early on in the day had we not professional, consistent negotiation with the subject. Matthew DiSarno, the special agent in charge of the FBI's field office in Dallas, said at a news conference on Saturday night. So who's the subject? Well, the, sub the suspect is dead, the police said. The FBI Dallas field office on Sunday confirmed the identity of the hostage taker as Mr. Akram, who was a British citizen. At this time, there is no indication that other individuals are involved, the FBI said in a statement. The agency's North Texas Terrorism Task Force is following leads, they said. The Texas Department of Public Safety said Mr. Akram had demanded to see his sister, who may not actually be related to him, and who is currently in the United States federal in U.S. federal custody for quote terroristic events in Afghanistan. The man claims he and his sister will be going to Jannah, Muslim belief of heaven, after he sees her, the department said in a statement on Saturday before the rescue. Authorities said the area in and around the synagogue was still an active crime scene. Though the situation was resolved, the Colleyville Police Chief Michael C. Miller said that an FBI evidence team and bomb technicians would be sweeping the area. I do not have any information right now that indicates this is part of any kind of ongoing threat, Mr. DeSarno said, adding, we'll continue to investigate the hostage taker, we'll continue to investigate his contacts, our investigation will have global reach. He said that his staff had contacted the authorities in other countries. So who are the hostages? So the four hostages were all adults, according to the police chief, though they didn't, he didn't specify their ages. At a news conference on Saturday night, the authorities said the hostages were being interviewed by the FBI. One of them was the synagogue's rabbi. The lead rabbi of the synagogue, Charlie Citron Walker, was described as having a unifying presence who had worked to improve interfaith relations. I'm thankful and filled with appreciation for all the vigils and prayers and love and support. All the law enforcement and first responders who cared for us. All the security training that helped save us, he said in a Facebook post on Sunday morning. He added, I'm grateful that we made it out. I'm grateful to be alive. And that concludes that article. So, I know I said a lot, obviously, but I want you to ask yourself, how much of that do you remember hearing about over the weekend? Or not over, not even just the weekend, but just in the past week? Uh, none. 
Right. This article. Yeah. This article was from the sixteenth. This article. Yeah, and it was updated on the eighteenth. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's very interesting. I'm like, this guy is a mysterious. This Akram guy. He's, so he wants. So he takes this synagogue hostage so he can see his sister, who's in what U.S. Did it say a U.S. person? Right. Or, for supposed terrorist activities in Afghanistan? Right. So the guy, were you able to look up his name while, while I was talking? I'm looking, I'm looking at a mugshot of this dude. This dude looks like he's like mentally deficient. and I'm, I, He looks like he's mentally, developedly disabled, man. He's looking like with his bum old stare. He's, bleh, 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 bleh. he's looking like Goma Pyle if he were uh, whatever the hell nationality this dude is. Right. It's... Uh, I th- I don't know if he and his family were from Afghanistan or not. I'm trying to find up. It kind of looks like spider penis, man. <laughs> his spider- he reminds you of spider penis? A little bit, man. <laughs> wow. Those of you don't know, you got to hear those stories <laughs> in our last episode. Was that our last one? No, that was our two two episodes ago. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, it was it was two episodes ago. <laughs> I noticed he was British. He's technically British, but like, what is like, what's his? Where's his, where does he? Have, where are his roots? You know what I'm saying? What's I'm yeah? What's his? What's this guy's story? I want a full report on this guy on my desk in the morning. Somebody provide that for me. I feel like I'm at the FBI here. I want a full report. I want a dossier on this guy. So I'm going to at least share with you another article. This is from CNN, by the way. Fake News Network. Uh, <laughs> not really. Hey, who is Sometimes. it, man? MSNBC, Fox, they're all, f- them all. Yeah. So the person in question that he was wanting to get released from federal custody was Afia Siddiqui. So this is an opinion piece from a guy named Peter Bergen, and he's a CNN national security analyst. And so it talks about how the hostage taker at the synagogue in Colleyville, Texas, Saturday was believed by U.S. law enforcement to be motivated by the imprisonment of Afia Siddiqui, a Pakistani who was serving an 86-year sentence at a prison in Fort Worth. She was... She was arrested by U.S. forces in Afghanistan almost a decade and a half ago, yet her arrest continues to reverberate today. Yo, 86 years sentence? Hold on, dog. 86? You can rape somebody and not even get that. What did this lady do? Right. Well, we're going to find out, baby. To most Americans, Siddiqui is an obscure figure, but among Islamist forces... Among Islamist terrorists, the mother of three is an icon. So, after ISIS kidnapped American journalist James Foley in Syria in 2012, the terrorists sent an email to Foley's family in August demanding the release of Siddiqui. Well, wait. I'm trying to... Okay, oh wait. There it is. So, Siddiqui, a slight Pakistani in her mid-30s, was arrested in eastern Afghanistan in July 2008. U.S. Okay. U.S. officials said she was carrying documents about the manufacture of dirty bombs, which are radiological weapons. They said she was also carrying notes about attacks against New York City landmarks, such as the Empire State Building and the Brooklyn Bridge. 
So Siddiqui, who lived in, in the U.S. between 1991-2002, graduated from top U.S. universities with degrees in biology from the Mass from MIT and a, wow. and a Ph.D. in neuroscience from Brandeis. Dang it. So she was super well-educated, actually. That's um, pretty mildly, man. Neuroscientist? Yeah. Oof. So after Siddiqui was arrested in Ghazni, Afghanistan, she was interrogated on July 18, 2008 by U.S. soldiers and FBI officials. So during the, the interrogation, Siddiqui found an unattended rifle and fired it at a U.S. officer and other members of the interview team. She <laughs> She also attacked an FBI agent and a U.S. Army officer as they tried to disarm her. She was subsequently charged with attempted murder. In her native Pakistan, Siddiqui is lionized by some as a victim of the war on terrorism. Thousands took to the streets in protest when she was convicted of the attempted murder of a U.S. Army officer in 2010. Now, once again, Siddiqui's imprisonment in Texas is being used as a rationale for terrorism against Americans this time in the U.S. itself. So that is who she is. Oh, hold on. Can we just say, like, hold on, wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold the phone. Back that U-Haul up truck. You know what I'm saying? Back it up. Mm -hmm. This woman is a Ph.D. Neuroscience. Why the hell is she casting her lot with... People who don't even believe women should be fully educated, man. Well, that's a good question. But what is happening, yo? Yeah. Like she can't be that intelligent. Like, trust me, I have the exact same fucking question as you do. But for the sake what of time, she? I kind of want to keep this focused right. on you know the synagogue itself. So the yeah. motivation, at least as far as we can tell, from uh the hostage taker was that he wanted this guy she basically wanted this she <laughs> he wanted Siddiqui to basically be released from US custody that that was ultimately the end goal of this you know uh, yeah so okay so the, the FBI is treating this as a hate crime and an act of terrorism at the same time um, but all of this insane shit happened. <laughs> this has been, I mean, this has so much to do with anti-Semitism. This has so much to do with the war on terror. This has so much to do with fucking, you know, all kinds of shit. But I feel like if this had been a church, we would have seen a lot more attention directed at this. Oh, you mean like a Christian church? Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, how about this? How about a Muslim mosque? Um, good question, actually. I'm not totally sure. On the one hand, I want to say... Uh, my initial impression is that it would probably not have received as much attention as a... If, if this were like a church. That's that's my opinion. Um, not a hill I'm super willing to die on, obviously, but it's it's my impression and opinion. So, yeah. What are your thoughts so far on this? 
Man, pick one. Uh, for, I'm looking at pictures of this lady now when she graduated, the Siddiqui chick. Um, my thoughts are that guy, Akram, was mentally deficient. I want to see this guy's like, I want to know if this guy had the equivalent of an IEP in Britain when he was going up in schooling because this guy don't seem like he's right. This guy seems like, you know, he's mentally like he's not all there, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to use the R word because I'm trying to keep it correct. Mm-hmm. But he seems like he's he seems like he's a little off his rocker, you know. Like like I said, Gomer Pyle. Whether you want to talk about Gomer Pyle from the original TV show or you want to talk about Gomer Pyle in Full Metal Jacket, this guy seems like he's one of them dudes. Well, maybe when I read a little bit more from this CNN article, it might. You might have some answers there to that. I said, I, dude, look at this dude's mugshot. I seen this dude on the corner begging for money, you know, on the freeway, on the little, you know, where the people can go on the freeway. I seen this dude begging for money last week. That's what this dude looked like. He looked like he's holding the sign like, hey, why lie? I need a beer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> also, give me one second. And man, you blowing my mind with the freaky deaky Sadiki girl. Freaky oh, deaky Sadiki, is that really what we're fucking calling her? Yeah, hell yeah. You gotta be a freak to believe that bullshit. Well, like I said, maybe once I read this off, it's gonna, you know, become a little bit more clear to you, right? So right. according to the rabbi, Citron Walker, he's uh, let's see here. Citron Walker said he and three others were taken hostage at gunpoint after the rabbi started leading prayers. The first demand made by the suspect was to speak with a prominent rabbi in New York, Citron Walker said on Thursday. The hostage taker spoke with the New York rabbi, demanding that person's assistance in securing Siddiqui's release. Two officials briefed on the investigation previously told CNN. Now, you might have already kind of figured out what I'm going to lead into here, but in case you didn't, I'm going to fucking say it anyway here. So, Citron Walker said, The hostage taker targeted this congregation because he believed the anti-Semitic notion that Jews are more important in his mind than everyone else and that America would do more to save Jews than it would for anyone else. And that's why he specifically targeted a synagogue, Citron Walker said on Thursday. Well. Akram said, point blank, he chose the synagogue because Jews control the world. Jews control the media. Jews control the banks. Jeffrey Cohen, one of the hostages and vice president of the synagogue's board of trustees, told CNN. So this guy pretty much is, that's no secret. He that's what he believed. He fucking he fuck out fucking said it right then and there. That this guy go, go back to you, his first point though, that the that United States of America cares more about uh, Jews than the what was this, cares more about Jews than see than uh, what uh, more than anyone else. That the huh. that the U.S. would do anything. It would, like, respond immediately that it would, like, bring global attention. Well, in, in some ways, it sort of has, but he, not. it really didn't get all that much coverage while it happened, is what I'm saying. 
Well, I mean, if you think of countries as uh, sexual partners, you look at the United States and Israel, I mean, they've been blowing each other since the inception of Israel. But no one's talking about Israel, though. He, this guy is t- entirely on about this conspiracy theory that the Jews control everything. The Jews run everything. So if a handful of Jewish people were held hostage, then he would essentially be able to kind of like get whatever he wanted out of, you know, U.S. authorities. That's what he's talking about. Nothing to do with fucking Israel. Yeah, well, you have to be kind of mentally deficient to believe that. Well, this is something... Anti-Semitism is not just common in the West. It's also common, you know... Oh, in, hell yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's fucking be real. It's, it's political, though, man. In yeah. the Muslim country, in Muslim-majority uh, Arab countries, a lot of that's political, man. S- some of it's political, but this guy's from fucking Pakistan. Not not an Arab country, not even fucking near Israel, right? Mm, <laughs> Geographically. Okay. Yeah. We're talking about a country in, like, West Central Asia? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, bordering India, yeah. So, there is a cultural anti-Semitism in a lot of, you know, Muslim countries, too. Mm, yeah. So, it, it's more normal than you... You might expect. Um, And like I said, this had absolutely fucking nothing to do with Israel, right? This was a dude who wanted to get Afia Siddiqui out of prison. Ricky Dicky Siddiqui. Yeah. And she's kind of seen as like a bit of like a martyr almost. I mean, she's still alive, of course, but, you know, she's seen almost as like this icon. I don't know why, but again, a Rick James song comes to my head. Super freak. She's a very freaky girl. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, probably in a lot of ways. Probably not in the ways that Rick James is talking about here, but. Freaky deaky. Sadiki. Freaky deaky sadiki. (laughs) So, my whole point being is that, yeah, there are. There will be people, there will be Muslims who will suffer as a consequence of this, obviously. Mm. And that's bad. It's like 9-11. Yeah, because when one marginalized group does something to another marginalized group, there tends to be, like, blowback for that group as a whole. Um, But this really, in this case, I don't want to... mm, I don't want to take the primary focus away from this story that this was about anti-semitism in 2022 um and it's still a thing i mean most of the time when it comes to like hate crimes and stuff right statistically it's not muslims that's that's just a a, that's something the fbi will fucking tell you it's typically from right-wing white extremists neo-nazis white nationalists white supremacists yeah. Uh, far-right Christian extremists, all that. It's statistically overwhelmingly them, and that's according to the fucking FBI. And mind you, the FBI helped the Chicago PD murder fucking Fred Hampton. It's not a liberal agency by any fucking means, dude. So, that said, I do want to dedicate our new series that we want to be talking about to the history of Jewish folks in the United States, because I don't want to just focus on anti-Semitism. I kind of want to like have a holistic understanding of what 
the historical presence of Jews in the U.S. has been like. The big picture, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, those are my closing thoughts. I think, and I'm going to summarize, you know, pretty much everything I just said, that I believe that incidents of anti-Jewish hatred is not that much of a priority to most media and I will also say social media as well because ultimately a lot of us get our information from social our news from social media right some it's not like you just log into cnn.com or whatever to get your news stories usually it's your social media your facebook and your twitter that oh, automatically man. notify it of you echo chambers man so so social media has a role in this as well it's not just you know, the guilt is not just the news agencies. It's also on social media algorithms as well. And if what I'm saying is true, and I genuinely believe it is, then social media algorithms really aren't prioritizing or really seem to care that much about stuff, bad things that happen to Jews. I don't know if that's a... You, well, here, here's a question. Do you think that's a problem with the algorithm or the people who made the algorithm? I mean, algorithms can sometimes... I'm not, I'm not a IT guy by any fucking means. I'm not a coding guy by any stretch. But I have read how certain algorithms and machine learning can have the biases of the people who program them oh yeah okay like that's also a thing of artificial intelligence too um but i don't know the answer to whether it's the people who program the algorithms or the algorithms themselves but ultimately i mean Algorithms don't really program themselves, obviously. <laughs> they don't really design themselves. They can kind of evolve in some weird ways, but ultimately, you know, it's under human supervision. And big companies like Facebook and Twitter, who are kind of like the middleman between you and your news a lot of the time, right? Well, they that's curate. Scary, dude. They, they, think about it. They curate typically what you what news you receive. So mo I don't have, I don't own a TV and I don't have cable. So most of my news is either coming directly from, you know, like what Google kind of throws my way um, on my phone. Yeah. Or it's usually shit from Facebook or Twitter. That's how I get most of my news. And everyone knows how curated these things are timelines and feeds and even the stuff that's recommended to you is on twitter and face facebook more so probably based on your personal interests what the algorithm has learned about you you know your viewing habits and things like that the things that you engage with and look up and interact with online so one could make the argument that Social media makes this worse, but the overall problem seems to be that media doesn't 
really care a whole lot, in my opinion, about bad things that happen to Jewish folks. And I'm not blaming journalists. Journalists don't get to determine what gets highlighted and what gets boosted or not. They're the ones who report on and write the fucking stories, but ultimately it's not their fault. It's it's a larger systemic problem. Well, let me ask you this. Let me back up the truck here. So, interesting. Do you think that... So what you just said. You said the media doesn't care about what happens to Jewish people. Would you say that... Newer media, newer forms of media are like this more, such as the creators of social media platforms. What about in the past, before the internet became a thing? What about the inception of the internet? Do you think it was the same way? I, I'm inclined to think so. Because mind you, like, I'm 30 years old. Like, I kind of remember a time before there was internet, right? Oh, yeah. So, it's a tough question to answer, but I'm inclined to say it's probably the same way. I'd imagine, I I really don't imagine that media pre-internet was any more caring or even favorable to Jews than it is now. Really, that's interesting to me because I've always, because in my head, and I could be wrong, hey, I'm willing to admit it if I am. But in my head, I'm always imagining the love affair the United States government has with Israel. Well, I think the problem here is that there's a lot of equivocation between Jews and Israel. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. And, and I will say, I and, I, wrong, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, I'm not accusing you of this. I am saying, though, okay. that a lot of anti-Jewish hatred is couched in the language about Israel. It's usually mm. from equa- equivocating Jews with Israel, right? Like, ain't nothing that this fucking synagogue did ain't got jack shit to do with Israel. Ain't got shit to do yeah. why they got fucking hauled up by this guy. By yeah, Malik that was his reason for doing it. Now, okay. this, this guy didn't give a fuck about Israel, <laughs> dude. Okay. Like, so, and a lot of anti-Semites will justify what they do by couching it with, as presenting it as criticism of Israel. But here's the yeah. thing, though, too. This, this kind of is a touchy subject, because on the one hand, yeah, there are anti-Semites who will couch their language, their anti-Jewish hate, with criticisms of Israel and anti-Zionism and so on and so forth. However, there are a lot of Zionists, pro-Israel types, Israelis, and the Israeli government, right-wing Israelis and right-wing types of the sort, who will call any fucking criticism of Israel Mm -hmm. as anti-Semitic. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of muddying of the waters here on two separate fronts. And sometimes you have to kind of be able to parse through, you know, what is what. You have to be able to sit through the lot of bullshit to kind of get to the heart of the matter. And it's not that fucking difficult, but it's so common. You realize how common it is. 
you know, when we associate Jews with Israel, especially in the United States, you know? I just made that mistake. Right. And is, yeah. And I mean, don't flagellate yourself over that. I mean, but yeah, I think once you realize that, though, it kind of starts to make, you know, you start to kind of be able to separate. <laughs> you, you, you've been, you, you're able to make the distinction is what I'm trying to fucking say, you know? Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, in this case where it has practically nothing to do with Israel, there are still people who will talk about Israel regardless. And this happens on both the right and the left, too. This isn't just a right-wing issue. I will argue that on the left, and I'm speaking as a leftist, there's a fucking problem with anti-Semitism. There's a problem with anti-Jew hate. And a lot of leftists who claim to be, you know, anti-racist, anti-imperialist, and all that, they will use the language of anti-Zionism and anti-Israel to basically make blanket statements about Jews mm. and such. Or they'll say something else. You know, they won't talk about Israel per se. They'll talk about uh, global financial interests. <laughs> <laughs> and one example of this yeah one example of this i will show you uh have you heard of a guy named caleb malpin uh, hold on somebody stole my name <laughs> how you spell this mf's last name yo m-a-u-p-i-n all right let's see no I, i've not heard of that so this son of a monkey here positions himself as a leftist. And you know what? For the sake of argument, because he exists in leftist spaces, we're going to consider him a leftist. I don't like to do this shit that comes off as a no true Scotsman, right? To where, oh, he's not a leftist because he, <laughs> yeah. because he believes X, Y, Z. No, leftists can believe in shitty things too. Let's be honest with ourselves. So mm. Caleb Maupin in his own words, is a widely acclaimed speaker, writer, journalist, and political analyst. In truth, he's actually just a propaganda mouthpiece for Russia, for Iran. Um, and he wrote a very sussy-wussy book called uh, Satan at the Fountainhead. So, the subtitle to Satan at the Fountainhead is the Israel lobby, and the financial crisis. Oh, okay. So let me share with you, and an unfortunately this is no longer available, but I remember when this actually was still available on Amazon. He was charging $999 for this book. Oh, wow, so he's a profiteer. Not just that. Why? <laughs> just read the description of this fucking book. And... All right, Look. well, let's read it together with our audience. Right on. Let's do it. Let's do it, baby. So, uh, this book is an honest attempt to answer the questions of those who want to know what happened. What the fuck? That, that sentence ends. What the hell does the sentence end for? In the view of the author, the catastrophic events of 2008 and the continued economic decay of the United States are the culmination of a number of policies and trends. These trends and policies carried out by both the government and the private sector 
Whoa, he's an equal opportunity discriminator. Mm-hmm. Are not isolated from global events. U.S. foreign policies, specifically those related to the ongoing conflicts in the Middle East region and directly linked to the continuous economic decline in the 2008 financial crash. The key players who are responsible for this crisis have not limited their malfeasance to U.S. soil. What, that's the description of the book? It's very vague, right? It's a very vague book. Why is it being so... When when the very first fucking... One of the first fucking words is the Israel lobby. Like, why are we being so vague with who we're talking about here? Just fucking say it, dude. So, scroll down to the reviews real quick. You're going to see a review who is a verified purchase, by the way. And when, right. you, when you oh, see it, which one? It's the one that literally titled "Jew Hatred for the 21st Century." Oh yeah. So let's let's read this review together, shall we? So on page 270 of Satan at the Fountainhead, the Israel Lobby and the Financial Crisis, Caleb Malpin defines 19th century European anti-Semitism as the reason for rising poverty as well as the decline of traditional values. What the fuck does that mean? What the fuck does that mean at all? But not not only that, Maupin tells us this kind of anti-Semitism no longer exists. Revulsion over the Holocaust wiped it out. Strangely, pages 270 and 271 are the only pages in this book where Maupin mentions the Holocaust. He brings it up. Huh? That's good data. What do you mean? I'm saying that, strangely, pages 270, 271 are the only pages in this book where Malpin mentions the Holocaust. Oh, that's, a, yeah, oh, this that's dude, some good data. That's some good evidence. Oh, yeah. This dude really kept track. Um, so this is the, he brings it up only to rule contemporary concerns about rising anti-Semitism as out of order. But this book exists as an example of the old anti-Semitic wine and trendy in new anti-Zionist bottles. It's a resource and a rationalization for Jew hatred for the 21st century. So before I go on with this review, I will say that anti-Zionism is not the same as anti-Semitism. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Right, right. There's, valid, there's perfectly valid reasons to be anti-Zionist. So that said, anti-Zionism is easy for anti-Semites to latch on to kind of like cloak their real intentions. So, going on, anti-Semitism is not a historical question superseded by events. Jew hatred is a default setting of capitalism in all historical periods. Oh, that's a very interesting take. Um, It is used to deflect, disorient, and demoralize those seeking a scientific understanding of class exploitation and a road forward in the fight against the dictatorship of capital. I can tell this this reader is a Marxist. Um, (laughs) Poverty, war, racism, union busting, and the pornographication of bourgeois politics are laid safely at the feet of a wealthy cabal of international Jewish puppeteers, shielding the capitalist class uh, of each nation. Okay. Oh, I see. He's framing what is being discussed in his book. Um, 
Maupin's book rings few changes in the poisonous old canard. His Jewish bankers and their useful Gentile idiots are rebranded as Zionists. They are linked with high-tech companies like Intel and GE, and low-wage companies like Starbucks and McDonald's. Man, dude, when I think about like the Jewish cabal that rules the entire world, I think of fucking McDonald's. I think of the fucking fish fillet. I think about all the frappes I can get to fucking guzzle it down with at Starbucks. <laughs> all the tentacles of this Zionist ocup- octopus are united in one goal. Exploiting and stealing money from U.S. workers and using it to fund the exceptionalist colonial settler racist state of Israel. Don't get me wrong. I think Israel's a racist fucking state. Um, Ethnic democracy. Yeah. Yeah. But this is this is basically what Caleb is arguing in this book. U.S. workers who lost good-paying jobs in Detroit and Cleveland must now work for a pittance at Walmart. Should blame Zionists. Kind of fucking weird. Um, Workers whose families used to be middle class but now live in crumbling cities, devastated by austerity budgets, should blame the Zionists. Black workers who are killed by, whose kids are killed by cops, who share training methods with the Israeli cops, should blame the Zionists. This is what Caleb... Mo- I'm thankful for this dude for fucking contextualizing this so we don't have to read this book. And I can see the more we learn about what this guy is saying about what Caleb says, the more reason it kind of becomes clear why this book is no longer available on Amazon for fucking purchase. Say- oh, okay. That's what, that's interesting. They're not selling it. Anymore? Yeah. They're no longer selling this book. And I think it's not because it was just a great seller. Um, so I'm going to continue the review here. Satan at the Fountainhead says there's no connection between Jewish people and contemporary Zionism. Zionism, according to the book, is the political expression of a usurious policy of the wealthy, draining, in the vampiric sense, resources to fund and defend Israel. Apparently, it's just a coincidence that Zionism and Israel are now solely synonyms for Jew. Villain, the villains in Satan at the Fountainhead have names. Jewish United Fund, Israel Lobby, Caterpillar, Milton Friedman, Alan Greenspan, Ayn Rand, among others. And this is kind of uh, the author's note here. To underscore Rand's Zionist identity, Malpin frequently refers to her as Elisa Rosenbaum. Leo Strauss becomes Leopold Strauss for the same reason. (laughs) Who are the heroes in the fight against the Zionist conspiracy to destroy the United States? First and foremost, Maupin proposes Franklin Roosevelt. (laughs) This clearly underscores the intentional dishonesty of Satan at the Fountainhead. FDR is presented as the friend and ally of U.S. workers, defender and promoter of labor unions, opponent of Jim Crow, and fighter against Wall Street usurers. Another note from the author of this review, popular front Stalinism and fascist anti-Semitism may not be exactly two sides of the same coin. It's hard to see the daylight between them and the way Maupin stacks his rhetorical deck. 
One does not have to be a reader of Farrell Dobbs and Art Praise to know Maupin is deliberately deceiving his readers about FDR. But Dobbs, for instance, is a good place to start if you want to see the type of working class movement that can be, def that can be built to defeat the Jew haters and the dictatorship of capital and fight for independent local, independent labor, political action, and workers' power. The most insidious thing about Satan at the Fountainhead is the miseducation it gives to workers and youth looking for real answers and a real way out of today's slow-burning worldwide crisis of capitalist production and trade. It promotes the age-old pro-capitalist line that economic crises are not the normal workings of the capitalist system. It promotes the idea that electing someone like FDR to defeat the Israel lobby would restore the quote-unquote good wages of middle-class jobs. That was from J.R. And he actually provides some recommended reading, too. <laughs> he, uh, workers need to fight the Jew hatred. The Jewish Question, a Marxist Interpretation by Abram Leon, and Teamster Politics by Farrell Dobbs. <laughs> And but I sent away for the book and read it so you won't have to. <laughs> well, I don't know though because Amazon is probably still. It just says out of print, limited availability. So if this was really like a boycott against this dude, they wouldn't even sell it. They wouldn't even have this page for the book on here. Oh no, I'm not saying it's a boycott. I'm saying uh, Caleb pulled it. Oh, I wonder, huh? Wonder why? <laughs> I wonder why indeed. <laughs> Big fucking mystery there. After this book started to gain traction, and then the price of the book went up to like almost like nine hundred fucking dollars, and then now it's just conveniently off Amazon fucking period. Supply and demand. Hmm. Oh yeah, it's hmm. I think the I think the demand for this book was a little bit more than Caleb actually wanted. Like, I think he wanted a specific audience for this book. And then when the different audience started to get a hold of this book and started to oh. write honest reviews about the book, uh, it suddenly just mysteriously disappears from Amazon. Oh, so he's probably playing the useful idiot for, ant for Jew haters across the world. Uh, I think he legit believes some of this shit, honestly. Okay. But when I say there's anti-Semitism among the left well and, hold on and i will let's be fair and balanced okay the read the this dude justin k above him uh this review great brook great brook great book in a discussion worthy topic so this guy gave the book five stars he's saying it's a great read from start to finish it spares the relationship between israel and the u.s from 1948 to the present day um yeah, so basically he's giving this book five stars because of the historical topic. Uh, this book also examines the relationship between various U.S. companies, such as McDonald's and Starbucks and Israel. <laughs> That's weird. It examines how right-wing thinkers such as Ayn Rand and Milton Freeman work tirelessly to cement the current relationship Israel enjoys with the U.S. and the disastrous effects that relation has on the average American. Well, that... I don't well that kind of says the same thing as Jay's, right? Not really. Well, well no, Jay, Jay, no, I'm saying Jay doesn't agree with that, but Jay says that the book says that same thing though, right? 
No, I would say this guy who's giving it a positive review is being more vague. Oh, okay. Because, mind you, yeah. you know, this guy talks about examining the relationship between various U.S. companies like McDonald's and Starbucks and Israel, which, on its face, isn't, without further context, is harmless, I guess. But mm, okay. when someone has actually read the book and has read in between the actually read what has been written, not just read in between the lines, but what has actually been written in the book, it kind of becomes a little bit more clear the kind of connections the author wants you to think about. Mm. So I actually, while you were reading his review, this guy, I'm not going to name him, just, you know, because I feel like that'd be not cool. Um, I actually looked at his order history list and the only other things i really saw that kind of caught my attention was that this guy bought a uh what was it let me pull it up here a <laughs> kiwi star car sticker flag decal uh in two sizes north korea <laughs> oh, this guy bought a fucking car sticker of a North Korean flag, and he wrote a review, gave it five yeah. stars, and said, can't be serious. Great way to show support for the DPRK in the face of increasing imperialist threats against it. <laughs> if you can see my face right now, my, my jaw, my mouth is agape. <laughs> I've never in my entire life seen anybody, anybody... Talk good about North Korea. This guy's insane. Buddy, I gotta have a long discussion with you about tankies. We're, one day, we are going to have an entire episode dedicated to tanky shit. Um, but when I refer to anti-Semitism on the left... I think my jaw can, like, be more open. Like, holy shnikes. Right. So whether you would consider somebody like Caleb Maupin and this guy who bought a North Korea bumper sticker um, for his car Why to show support. Sold? <laughs> Good question. Um, they the thing is, even if we would not consider them real leftists or leftists, they position themselves among the left they yeah. enter left spaces and they popularize these narratives among leftists and typically there is a lot of folks who just consume bullshit like this without thinking about it and they internalize it like there are anti-israel jews and jews who are actually just critical of israel who are pro-Palestine, who are left leftist or left-leaning, who experience anti-Semitism among the fucking left in their own spaces, dude. So Yeah, man. Although, yeah, most of the time when we're talking about, like, hate crimes and acts of terrorism, it's coming from right-wing extremist groups. Um, let's confront our own anti-Semitic problem in our own spaces. So that's one of the inspirations for me wanting to do an entire history series about the Jewish history, uh, the history of Jewish folks in the United States. Well, I'm there with you, and I think Freaky Deaky Sadiki yeah. should get together with Caleb Maupin. And Spider Penis. Uh, no, Spider Penis is a good guy. Oh, okay. Spider Penis is a good guy, and these are the villains that he fights against. 
with his <laughs> with his spider dick. Oh yeah, spider bit my wiener. I don't know how that dude yeah. sounds. I hope he's doing well. God bless yeah. spider penis. <laughs> yeah, but man, I you have taught me a lot today. We did some learning. Cause I don't even know if I'm considered part of the quote unquote left. I I don't know, but uh, and I didn't know that the the left had such a rich diversity of opinion. I guess I wouldn't call this rich, <laughs> unless you're being sarcastic. Uh, yeah, I would. <laughs> but uh, who <laughs> boy? Yeah, how about, how about we get Caleb Malpin and Freaky Deaky Sadiki? together and they can be both anti-imperialist together oh you'll after after this episode i'm going to show you some videos of caleb malpin just to give you an impression of the how this guy carries himself it's, it's gonna be fun so he looks familiar though i'm looking at some of his pictures now he looks mighty familiar i might have shown you him before and you uh -huh. might not remember but I just take offense in anybody who uh, who has who steals my name. Yeah. So and there are actors who will use what happened in Texas as a uh, as a way to talk about something other than anti-Semitism, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So be mindful for those figures out in the world, right? So you can talk about you know Islamophobia. In relationship to anti-Semitism, I mean, that's fine. I think in this case, in this particular specific story about what happened in Texas, it's a story about anti-Semitism, is all. Okay. And somebody who tries to make it all about Islamophobia is probably acting a little sussy-wussy there. Yeah, I can see that against, yeah, I could definitely see that. Right. So um, yeah, what you mentioned though is a great point because it's all about how we interpret what happened. We interpret it in those little spheres and bubbles in which we put ourselves. Yep, our little social circles and our mm -hmm. the narratives that are very prominent in those spaces. But that said, I think we're ready to wrap up today. So Exciting new series, folks. We're talking about the history of Jews in the United States in our next upcoming episodes. I'm sure it won't have any depressing information um, at all, but you know how a Ministry Modus podcast goes. Sometimes history can be a bit of a bummer. But also eye-opening. I mean, you opened my eyes today. I did not know anything about this kind of stuff. Yeehaw. Well, if me, a non-Jewish guy, can learn about it, anybody can. Amen, and it helps build your tolerance and your empathy, man. We need to be empathetic and think of all men and women as our brothers and sisters out there. No matter what religion, race, creed, color, I don't care. Take it and don't leave it, and I'm there, baby. Absolutely. Anything here, baby. You understand something here? You got to understand all men are brothers and sisters, baby. It ain't about anything else, you know what I'm saying? Is this gonna be another like codeine? <laughs> I was trying Lil to Wayne codeine impression, but uh, can you imagine if fucking Lil Wayne did like an entire rap about you know combating anti-Semitism, but he was like doped up on codeine while doing it? 
Or he made a rap about Freaky Deaky Sadiki. Freaky Deaky Sadiki. <laughs> we have some interesting nicknames for people on this show. It's it's a great uh, mnemonic, Freaky Deaky Sadiki. Freaky Deaky Sadiki. See, when you hear Freaky Deaky Sadiki, you're never gonna forget who we're talking about. You're never gonna. <laughs> whenever that thought crosses your mind, you're gonna think of immediately to Afia Sadiq, who is held in federal custody in Texas. She was such a pretty lady too, man. But god dang, man. She had such a fucking bright future too. What the fuck, bro? She was so smart, intelligent, pretty. Oh. Well, (sighs) it's always the pretty ones. So that said, if (laughs) if you want for if you want some other eye-opening, pretty content, you can follow us on Twitter at Ministry Modus. Or you can check us out on YouTube because Martin over here has been very productive and proactive about getting our clips from our shows uploaded to our channel on Ministry Modus. I'm about a week late. About a week late, but that's okay. I am too. So (laughs) (laughs) we have lives. Um, That said, you can also shoot us an email at martinandcornbread at gmail.com. All one word, martinandcornbread at gmail.com. So, those are our contact details. Go follow us wherever you might find us. Send us some love. Send us some hate. Tell us you want to kill us. All the nice stuff that we'd like to hear. So, with that said, Martin, do you have a rhyme and or a coding rap to conclude (laughs) this episode on? No, not today, Uh, but I am going to go listen to some Rick James (laughs) and some funky bass lines. All right. We're ending on a funky note, folks. Funky. Thank you for joining us again for an albeit shorter episode, but sometimes short episodes can be some of our best performing ones of Ministry Modus. So, without further ado, au revoir. Auf Wiedersehen, Buenas Noches, etc., etc.